Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about Blessed Father McGivney with the Knights of Columbus. Yeah, we're going to look at his recent canonization, and we're really lucky to be joined by both the vice postulator for his cause for canonization and the father of the child who was miraculously healed through the intercession of Blessed Father McGivney. We are so excited about this episode, and I am very excited to learn more about the beautiful ministry of Father Michael McGivney, still alive in the world today. And he was the one who truly formed such a phenomenal movement of men based in charity, unity, patriotism, and fraternity. So through his intercession, let us begin the show. Excited about this episode, you guys. There's uh, something amazing going on right now in the American church. Um, excited to learn about how saints become saints. Uh, excited to learn about this miracle attributed to uh, Blessed McGivney. Um, so, really happy to have uh, the Knights on the show. We have Daniel Shackle here with us, um, and we also have Brian Caulfield from the Knights. Welcome, guys. Thank you. We are so we are so grateful to have you guys on the show. I cannot wait to hear this testimony from you, Brian and 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 Daniel. I mean, Daniel, you are a father of a, a walking miracle right now. I, I'm just so excited to hear the full story and really get into depth. Before we do, I just want to give a shout out to our patrons as well as our sponsors. We would not be able to produce this show without them. So a big shout out to scapulars.com. Ave Maria University, as well as Exodus 90. If you are considering becoming a patron of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show, and we will continue to influence culture with our, the beauty of our Catholic faith through this effort. Thank you. All right. So all of us on the show, big fans of the Knights of Columbus, uh, uh, Father Rich, you're a fourth degree knight. Um, Getting got, close to 20 years, actually. Yeah. I've got my knight sword right back there. I'm, the knights are all growing up, my grandfather was a knight and so many amazing experiences through the Knights of Columbus. Um, so when we heard that Father McGivney was being beatified, it was, it was a big deal to us. And we're really, really blessed to have this opportunity. And I think this is the first time I've actually ever spoken with somebody who has a real legitimate or like a firsthand connection to a miracle that has been recognized by the Catholic Church. And, and that's, that's Daniel, Daniel Shackle. Now, Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what that miracle is and how, um, you know, how that relates to Father McGivney. So, Ryan, first of all, this is the first time I've ever been in contact with somebody like me either. So that's a pretty, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty surreal thing to think about. You know, you never think you'd even meet someone like this. And then to, to be in that position, it's, it's kind of overwhelming, really. And uh, we're just normal people that do our lives and we try to raise our family right. And you know, I went to work for the Knights of Columbus over 15 years ago, as we mentioned, and I've always had a Father McGivney devotion ever since I came in. And what inspired me to go into the insurance program was reading his biography about love for widows and orphans and really focusing on their protection. And having uh, or being due with our seventh child at the time, I was doing pretty well in another industry, but I told my wife, we've got to start our own business. And I was grand night. 
So you can't feed a family, a large family really in the United States, hardly if you don't run your own business. I mean, really it's a, a difficult financial proposition. So I was looking for businesses to start and Father McGivney reached out to me in, in that biography and I really latched on to his vision for taking care of families and thought, you know, this is a vocation I could spend the rest of my life doing. So uh, my wife and family also came along with me, obviously. My wife named our homeschool Father McGivney Academy not long after I went to work for the Knights. And Excellent. We've always had a devotion to him, really. I feel like he rides with me when I go around and see agents and see members. He's the, uh, the hidden guy riding in my car with me. So that's one of the questions that people have asked before is why Father McGivney? That's a pretty big ask of a guy that's not even been beatified or anything. And my response to that is it's just, it was just a natural part of our family. Mm. You know, we felt like he was a part of us already. So. Yeah. That goes all the way back to the founding of the Knights and the, the reason that the Knights exist really was to, <clears throat> to support the family. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know exactly what it is the Knights do and exactly what the founding of the Knights are. Uh, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about exactly about why the Knights exist and how Father McGivney founded them? Good. Thank you very much. Um, I work at the uh, Knights Columbus headquarters uh, in New Haven, where Father McGivney founded the Knights of Columbus in 1882 uh, with a handful of uh, what he called the go-ahead men, go-ahead Catholic men of the city. Uh, of course, in those days, um, 1882, uh, Catholics were not always welcome uh, in the culture. There was an anti-Catholic uh, know-nothing movement, a political movement, and also a uh, sort of cultural, uh, you would see in, uh, you know, job uh, uh, offerings and newspapers at the bottom, you know, Catholics need not apply or something to that effect, uh, you know, which really meant Irish need not apply at that time. Um, they were, you know, a big immigrant population. So Father McGivney was, uh, was American born. Uh, his, both his parents had come from Ireland. Um, he was the first child of uh, eventually 13 in Waterbury, Connecticut, a factory town, a, you know, very active. Uh, and at one point in its history, it was known as the most Catholic city in America, um, you know, which they had uh, like something like 20 parishes uh, there in, in Waterbury. And uh, so Father McGivney was born there, baptized there. Uh, um, he grew up, uh, you know, the oldest uh, boy. And of course, after grade school, he was expected to uh, follow his father into factory work, which he did from age 13 until 16. And then uh, he was making uh, spoons, uh, right? Uh, Brian? Wasn't he like making spoons or something like he that? He was making, yeah, he was making brass spoons. But he uh, really wanted spoons. to be a priest, right? He wanted to be a he priest. He wanted to be a priest. Um, eventually, his father uh, uh, agreed, you know, that he would uh, go to the seminary. Uh, his pastor, uh, Father Hendrickin, who later was a bishop of Providence, Bishop Hendrickin. Uh, was the one who kind of encouraged Father McGivney and convinced Mr. McGivney, you know, that this boy had uh, a greater uh, future than, you know, molding spoons in a uh, factory, you know, as noble as work with the hands yes. is. Mm -hmm. um, so he was ordained in 1877. His first assignment was St. Mary's in New Haven, uh, Port City. Um, you know, at, at, at his age, uh, he, he didn't have a day off his first year because the pastor was ailing. Uh, that was a common thing among priests uh, that day in Connecticut. I mean, you know, no antibiotics. You know, priests obviously were overworked. 
and they went into, you know, sick people often and, uh, you know, without always, you know, knowing the full extent of, uh, you know, what we know today about, uh, you know, washing hands and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Father McGivney saw what he saw really was the key. Uh, he saw Catholic men being drawn away uh, by, you know, sort of the Mason, uh, uh, you know, which would give them entree into the uh, into the larger culture, you know, and, you know, one uh, getting better jobs, moving up in society. And of course, you know, these anti-Catholic uh, societies uh, were banned by uh, the church, obviously. Um, so Father McGivney saw that. And of course, when the father uh, leaves the church, of course, the chances are, you know, the, the rest of the family will not be as faithful. Mm-hmm. So that was one problem you wanted to address. The other was. And that was like prior, Brian, that was prior to like any type of statistics or sociological studies on the family and the father's leadership. And clearly, Father Michael McGivney was one who came from an immigrant background. His whole family came over to the United States from the potato famine. You know, the poverty of the Irish was tremendous. So Father Michael McGivney seeing that, Brian, I mean, he must have grown up in a culture of his sensitivity to immigration, sensitivity to, you know, really orphans, you know, kids being taken away from their parents because of poverty, not being able to take care of them and the Catholic faith not passing on, you know, it, it, can it you share a rough more? life. Yeah. Can you share more about, um, because I know that his, his sensitivity toward immigrants was very big. And then there was also a sense of uh, his ministry to orphans too. Yes. Well, he founded the Knights uh, a great deal to help the widows and orphans, you know, men were working, you know, the immigrant uh, Irish who were working the hard jobs, you know, the railroads, the factories, the mines, and of course, uh, you know, dying young. Uh, so he was seeing a lot of, you know, uh, young widows and many young um, uh, orphans, you know, young children. And in those days, you know, the uh, regnant uh, Protestant uh, authority, if uh, if a, a widow couldn't uh, show that she could support all the children in the family, um, you know, the, uh, the, the city or the state would step in and place them in good Protestant homes uh, who could take care of them. Of course, that would mean the loss of their Catholic faith. So Father McGivney instituted uh, really a genius. Uh, he, he, he had a genius for organization. He had a genius for uh, inspiring other people to join with him and doing the good. And uh, he developed a, uh, an insurance program, uh, you know, very uh, bare bones, skeletal at first, um, but uh, it grew very quickly because there was a great need for it. Um, obviously, you know, the other uh, non-Catholic benefit societies, you know, would give those benefits. And that's what drew a lot of men away. Not that they hated their Catholic faith, but they loved their families. And so that was the one way they, you know, if they died young, that their family would be provided for. So Father McGivney, we have a letter of his, which uh, uh, laid it out very clearly. He said, you know, the, the, the main objectives are to keep men, you know, close to the church, away from these, uh, you know, banned uh, secret societies, benefit societies. And the other uh, is to provide a death benefit upon the, you know, the demise of, uh, of one of the members. So essentially... You know, you would pay in so much per month. And then if one became, you know, one died that, you know, a a certain benefit uh, would accrue to the widow. And it was life saving. Literally, it was life saving in many, many cases. And uh, this idea, um, you know, was uh, was really revolutionary within the Catholic uh, family. You know, they were not used to this kind of 
you know, and Father McGivney was clear that this is charity, unity, and fraternity were those yeah. three principles mm -hmm. upon which uh, the Knights were founded. And each one kind of uh, drew on the other to for the protection of Catholic family, the promotion of the Catholic faith, and also uh, to really declare that Catholics belong in America. That, you know, there was a widespread uh, feeling that uh, you cannot be a good Catholic and a good American, that, you know, they were these scurrilous uh, uh, Thomas Nass-like uh, uh, sketches in newspapers of, you know, there's one particularly uh, where, where a priest is, you know, showing, hearing someone's confession, and he's on, and then you see his hand, and it's on a, uh, on a Morse, you know, a teletype thing where he's typing to the Vatican, you know, what this person is saying. I mean, that was, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it really offends so much. I see Father's eyes lighting up there. Uh, oh, my gosh. But that's an actual cartoon where, you know, people were being told that, you know, that the priests were, you know, telegraphing people's sins to the Vatican and probably figured they got thrown into, you know, the Inquisition at any moment, you know, sort of a money Python kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but these were the misperceptions that everyday Catholics were handling in the workplace, in society, walking down the street. You know, of course, you'd have that image like, oh, here's that Catholic person. Mm -hmm. So Father McGivney, by founding the Knights, gave them that, what, fraternity and that support of one another so that you, know, you would feel like, you know, you weren't an outsider in your own city and your own. So uh, yeah. that establishment has got to be one of the most important pioneering efforts of a Catholic leader in the history of the country. And thank God for our Catholic heritage to be protected by such an establishment. And I could see already the beginnings of Father Michael McGivney's ministry. Um, you know, really taking form, but that anti-Catholic sentiment followed all the way from the mid 19th century, late 19th century, all the way through even to JFK. It was even, you know, there was a lot of uh, subversive commentary, you know, against this papist that was running for uh, the presidency. But I could see how like- It was a night of Columbus. <laughs> yeah, which is good, it's, that's excellent. You know, it runs I through how... today, Father, if you live in Tennessee, the anti- <laughs> Oh, I believe you, brother. <laughs> I believe you, Daniel. <laughs> and, and Daniel, I could see you interacting with the ministry and almost becoming like an apostle of this effort and, and that inspiration taking place yeah. in your life. Yeah, no, yeah no. that's what I thought from the very beginning that I needed to latch on to Father McGivney and really follow him and be his foot soldier, not my own. That's great, brother. Now, there was something mentioned that I thought really stood out to me, and I'm sure that, Daniel, you've probably made this correlation before, but that Father McGivney was the first of 13 children. Now, you yourself have 13 children, but the youngest of your children is the child named after Father McGivney through whose intercession his, you know, we, you, I think, could attribute his being here today. Is that correct? That is correct. And the number 13 permeates our story you'll hear in a few minutes. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a very beautiful part of our story, actually. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story? So tell us about the circumstances that led up to you, you know, seeking the intercession of Blessed Father McGivney and, and the birth of your son, Mikey. Tell us a little bit about that so we can understand what happened there. Sure. So each year, the Knights of Columbus has a, an incentive trip for their salespeople. And as a manager, I'm also able to win that trip. So in January of 2014, my wife wasn't able to go to the general agents meeting with me. 
So uh, I was live streaming when they announced where the 2015 trip would be, and they said that it would be to Lisbon and Madrid with the pilgrimage to Fatima. So we were both so excited. Uh, we were literally just, you know, I was tearing up. She was crying, you know. Real men don't cry. I was just tearing up a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we were so excited that that, that was going to be it, and we were fortunate enough to achieve what we needed to achieve to to make that trip. Well, you know, 11 months later, November, late November, we find out that we're pregnant. And we announced to our children on Christmas that they were going to have a little brother. And my wife had a big purse that had embroidered on their mom of 12, you know, so everybody opens up their gifts, uh, one gift on Christmas <laughs> Eve. She opens up one that says mom of 13 on it. You know, one of my older oh, daughter wow. goes, well, that's an unfortunate typo. So <laughs> that's how we announced it to him. Well, just a week later, we were told that he had Down syndrome and uh, from an ultrasound, it looked like he had Down syndrome and we needed to go to Vanderbilt to have a uh, high risk pregnancy doctor look at everything, get genetic testing done, all that kind of stuff. So we did. We went to Vanderbilt. They did another ultrasound there. They did all the genetic testing and confirmed that he was a boy through the genetic testing. And one thing that's interesting that I didn't realize until this happened is that they went in and got his DNA out of my wife's blood. I didn't know they could do that, but that's how they confirmed all of this stuff. So your blood's filtered through your bones. So you think about that with the Blessed Mother, that she actually carried Christ's DNA in her body for the rest of her life. So anyway, that's a sidebar. But we, uh, we had another ultrasound. It was, when it came out, it looked like he was just a little balloon. You know, his organs were just floating in the sea of fluid and the, the doctor there said, look, he's not getting rid of fluid. It's just getting worse and worse. I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never seen a child survive this diagnosis. And she said, you have two options. One is to terminate the pregnancy now. And the other is to just continue it and let him die on his own. And then we'll have a stillbirth. So she, uh, I asked her, you know, what's the percentage? And she said, I told you, I've never seen anyone survive this. And that condition is what, uh, fetal hydrops? Fetal hydrops, correct. Yeah. Genetically induced fetal hydrops. So babies mm -hmm. can develop fetal hydrops from different infections and things like that. And that can be cured with antibiotics and things, but not when it's caused by a chromosomal abnormality. It can't be cured. So she, uh, she said, now I was raised Catholic and I understand how you feel about abortion and everything, but this is not really an abortion because there's no hope here and... Mm -hmm. You know, so it wouldn't really be an abortion. You're just ending an unfortunate pregnancy early. So that kind of made me angry. You know, I'm like, I'm a dad. I'm supposed to protect my children, not kill them. And so here's this lady telling me it's okay to kill my child. And uh, my wife was much more charitable saying she's just worried about me and my health and those kind of things, you know. And my attitude was always, I don't know who the hell that doctor thinks she is. We're going to Fatima. There's no such thing as no hope. So I don't know why. I mean, it's not logical that I felt that way. I guess it was just a special grace that God gave me at that moment so that he had, could accomplish this. Because as I look back on it, I'm like, I was crazy back then. And uh, my wife was telling me I was crazy back then. So it had to, have been, had to have been some type of divine intervention to help me feel that way. I think God was already writing this story back when he encouraged the Supreme Knight to make the trip a pilgrimage to Fatima. And, you know, we've, we've all, Brother Knight's been praying for decades for the canonization of Father McGivney. 
So I think God just started working this plan out. And because we're a large organization and we do have significant financial resources, I think we're managing right now $27 billion for Catholic families and our profits go to charity and all of those kind of things. But, and Brian and I have talked about this, you know, that there's always going to be a little bit of skepticism because we're this big organization and we do make donations to the Holy Father and, you know, those kind of things. So I think God started writing this story in a way that no one could deny that it was the real deal. So when you and your wife found out this diagnosis, what, what happens next? Do you, do you have discussions? You know, what leads you to seek the intercession of Father McGivney? I know you already had an existing devotion to him, but how does that specifically, what prayers did you say? How did you seek his intercession that led to this miraculous occurrence? So it was basically desperation. I mean, you, you know, your children are crying. Everyone's upset that we're going to have a, a dead baby in a few weeks. Your wife is crying, mm. inconsolable. Uh, the night that I, I did the prayer to Father McGivney, and there were a lot of other people that prayed to Father McGivney for him. I don't want to think it's all me, but um, she was laying on the floor in the fetal position just crying because she didn't want to go through this. So mm. what are you supposed to do? You know, there's no one else to turn to, so... I just kind of went off in the corner of our bedroom there and, and was praying to God, you know, that basically like the agony in the garden was what I was going through. You know, oh, Lord, please let this cup pass from me if it's your will. But I did say, not my will, but your will be done. But I really was just in agony. And uh, I just told Father McGivney, look, we both need a miracle here, and I will name him after you if, if you pray for him. And then uh, I told my wife what I had done. We were planning on naming him Benedict Ives, Ives being one of her family names. So I told her what I did, and then she got kind of angry with me. She said, I wanted to name him after my grandfather. But <laughs> the, next, the next day she was on board, and we both emailed a lot of people asking them to, to pray to Father McGivney, especially while we were on our pilgrimage for Michael's health. And we had some masses set at our parish while we were there and everything for Michael. So... That's kind of what led up to it all. So then how then did you find out that, well, how, how did you find out that he was going to be born? He was going to survive. At what point did you realize that something miraculous had happened? What, at what point did the doctor's diagnosis get countered by this act of, 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 of faith in God? Yeah. So I would say that while we were gone on our trip, our hope was building the whole time. We, uh, we decided to go a couple days early with some friends to Rome, and we had a, a parish priest there that was at the North American College, and he was from our parish, so he showed us around. Uh, the day we got there, we landed in Rome. We got off the airplane. It was all over the news. The Holy Father has declared a year of mercy. So that was the day that we arrived in Rome. The day we were leaving Rome was the day that they were setting up St. Peter's for the opening mass of the Day of Mercy. And Father Fi said, hey, I've never prayed Mass in St. Peter's. Do you guys want to do that? And we were all enthusiastically, yes. So I got to be an altar server at St. Peter's. And I, I trained the altar servers at my parish. So I brought home the picture and told the boys, you know, keep studying. You know, you could be up here one day. But anyhow, <laughs> we, we were randomly assigned an altar, the Our Lady of Prompt Sucker altar that mm. a decade or so before, 
the order had adopted and refurbished. Look at that, yeah. And uh, I didn't realize that at the time. My wife did because uh, the Supreme Knight sent out a Christmas card with that picture on it. And so she was she was tugging on my arm. This is this is a Knights of Columbus altar. And then we went, uh, of course, to Lisbon and we prayed at the tomb of St. Anthony. We we went on pilgrimages to the cathedrals and all of those kind of things. We went to Fatima and Archbishop Laurie, our Supreme Chaplain, met us there. And he was inspired on the way in the car to write a a prayer to consecrate the Knights of Columbus to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, just on a whim. So we, we prayed the rosary at the apparition site, and then right after that, he led right into a consecration prayer to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for the Knights of Columbus, which was a very powerful moment. We had a little bit of time to look around, and then we went to Mass, and uh, the reading from the day for the day was from the book of John, where the official came to Christ and said, you know, please come down. My son is going to die. And Jesus basically says, you're a hard-hearted generation. You have to have signs and wonders to believe. Go forth. Your son will live. Mm. Of course, we were praying the whole time for him, you know. So that uh, I would say from that moment, I had much more hope. We didn't tell many people what we were going through, what we were praying for that were on the trip. But I did tell one of the executives after Mass I appreciated this trip and what we were going through. And he just said, well, you never know. We're in Fatima. And I was like, yeah, that's right. We're in Fatima. So we had to have an ultrasound scheduled right before we left. Some of the European airlines require a woman to have authorization from her doctor to fly when she's pregnant. So we had that ultrasound right before we left. And then one of my wife's big fears was I'm going to Europe for 10 days. I've got a baby that's going to die. I mean, she was really worried about this trip, that she was going to get over there on day one and and Michael was going to pass away and she was going to have to carry this dead baby for nine days. She was very stressed about it. So the doctors told her, you know, look, it looks like he'll be fine for 10 days. You know, go ahead, enjoy yourself. And they scheduled an ultrasound for right after we got back. So whenever we got back, she didn't see the original doctor that gave us the diagnosis again. She had an appointment just to check up on him to see how he was progressing and, you know, where we were at in his process. But the, a different doctor read the ultrasound. So she came in and sat down with her and said, well, Michelle, we need to get you to meet the doctor for the NICU and the pediatrician that's going to work on him and all this kind of stuff before the delivery date. And she just stopped her and said, what are you talking about it? I was told I had no hope of him surviving. And the, the doctor flipped back through her charts and she said, are you the lady that just went to Fatima? And she said, yes. And she said, well, you're going to have a baby now. Jeez. So Michelle told her, well, we're going to name him Benedict or uh, Michael McGivney. And the doctor asked why. And she told her, you wouldn't understand. There's this priest from the 1800s, you know, and went through the whole story. And the doctor actually said, I know exactly who that is. My dad was a knight. My mom still gets the magazine. Beautiful. She was so excited to be a part of it. Wow. And she actually showed up, Brian. I don't know if you know that, that last night in, at St. Mary's when Michelle and I gave our testimony, she was actually in St. Mary's. And uh, she started crying and someone in the crowd asked her, are you Dr. Mary? So it was uh, <laughs> quite Jeez. a over there. Yeah. How beautiful. Yeah. So, and so uh, the process for canonization requires, I believe, three miracles or something like that. Two. Brian, can you talk a little bit about how this event, this miracle, 
uh, it's amazing to listen to. Um, that played a part in the canonization process and where that fits in along the whole process of the beatification. Yes, well, you know, Daniel, I've heard that story many times, but I always sit on the edge of my seat when Daniel Daniel tells that it's it's an amazing story. It actually happened, you know. So yeah. and, uh, you know, we have documented proof. Um, you know, and, and you know, he's mentioning Fatima a lot. Um, you know, obviously they were still praying to Father McGivney throughout, you know, this pilgrimage of 10 days. And uh, one of the interesting things, you know, one of the first things I learned when I became vice postulator, I work very closely with, you know, the formal postulator in Rome. And I was told that, uh, yes, you know, prayer to Father McGivney has to be exclusive, but uh, obviously uh, the Blessed Mother also can be invoked because it is assumed as the mediatrix of all graces uh, that she handles all the prayers anyway. So just anyone listening to this thinking, you know, well, it was it was a Fatima miracle. No, it was uh, attributed oh. to Father McGivney. But, uh, you know, obviously Mary is always um, uh, interceding, uh, you know, even in this case. And well, not only that, but rosary. what's that? If the... Uh if the blessed mother knew that all these people were praying to father McGivney and it was going to create a cult of father McGivney, if this happened, why would she have done it? Even if it was her, right? Yeah. yeah. So, no, I'm just explaining that, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, prayer, prayer to Mary does not beat uh, prayers to the particular uh, blessed that you're, uh, you know, invoking. Um, and I thought that was beautiful when I learned that, you know, like the Vatican, at least the congregation of saints, you know, recognizes the, uh, uh, universal intercession of Mary. So every, every prayer we pray goes through her hands uh, to God's throne. Um, and a postulator, that means that you took over for the process that we're, we're learning of right now. Yeah, what is yes, a vice postulator? Uh, yeah, I'm what they call the vice postulator, uh, you know, assistant. Um, there's a, there's a, a full-time postulator in Rome, Dr. Ambrosi, a Roman. He's been doing this for 30 years or so. He, he handles many, many causes, many successful causes. And, uh, you know, basically I do a lot of the footwork, you know, the pr preliminary work. Um, like in this particular case, uh, you know, news of Daniel's uh, uh, miracle. Uh, obviously, he's an agent, you know, for the Knights of Columbus. It traveled uh, very quickly to the home office. Um, you know, one day I'm, I'm on the lunch line and the, uh, the head of the... Uh, uh, insurance program there, you know, uh, turns around, says, Brian, did you hear about the miracle one of our agents had? I'm like, shh, not too loud. No. You know, we don't want to like have everyone, you know, going around talking that there's a miracle before we've even investigated. Yes, yeah. So all I right. said, all right, you know, uh, send me the information and I'll, I'll look, look into it. So um, Daniel so had to cover this up too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he had to tough. kind of bottle that up. Yeah, oh, I know. Good stuff. Yeah, you want to sing that from the mountaintops, man, the rooftop. Right. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, working in the Knights of Columbus, too, you know, things leak out and people are asking questions all the time. The guy that told <laughs> Brian about that at, in the lunch line was actually the guy that in Fatima I was in the lunch line with and said, you have no idea what we're going through. That's the same oh, person. Wow. So wow, after okay. we got so, back, I called him and said, you won't believe what happened when we got home. 
And so he went right to Brian and told him. So, <laughs> you know, God, God works with lunch lines as well as and he, knows, like that. <laughs> he knows that's where to catch guys. You know, the rows, that's the right. rows first right. on the lunch line. Well, Dylan Cross, me and you have had lunch up in that room. That's the one with the that's big right. surround. Nice you can view. See New Haven. Oh, beautiful. Good, yeah. Good yeah. 20 food. 22nd floor. Amazing view. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, so then, you know, I, I relayed all this to the postulator and, uh, you know, you said this looks like a promising case. So I, I went down to Nashville and uh, spent a day with uh, Daniel and his wife and his beautiful family. Uh, I treated them out to a, a Mexican meal, as I remember. And uh, I realized, uh, you know, how, uh, as he said, you know, it's hard to support a family of 13. <laughs> it's like just to go out to a a nice, you know, medium-sized uh, uh, Mexican restaurant is, uh, is that's, quite that's, sure. So that's your family there. Yeah. Right. So uh, anyway, I got the basic information, and then you know we got medical records, and this was all sent to the postulator. And over in Rome, you know, the postulator has um, some medical experts, you know, practicing doctors, who uh, you know kind of consult to look at you know medical records and see if you know what we're thinking as you know kind of lay people. Uh, actually lines up with, uh, you know, what a medical expert would see. And the report came back, good, this looks good, go ahead. So uh, so then the Diocese of Nashville, uh, where the, uh, you know, whether you were resident uh, within the diocese held what they call the tribunal, which is a formal a church hearing or church court. Uh, you know, people take uh, an oath. To, it's a very, uh, you know, kind of wakes you up. You know, it's not just, you know, tell the truth, all the truth. So help me God. It's like, you know, I hold before me the gospels and, uh, you know, that I will be true to every word that I, I speak, you know, and, and not reveal this to anyone else, you know, so help me God kind of thing. And, uh, so, you know, any good Catholic would be sure to tell the truth and nothing but the truth after taking that oath. Uh, it's a very beautiful process. It's, it's, uh, filled with the, with the grace of the Holy spirit, and, uh, you know, there was the bishop at the time, um, uh, who short, shortly after that passed away, unfortunately. Um, and uh, the tribunal went on for a good 16 months. There were 10 witnesses, including the two doctors who were very involved in the case. Um, you know, they were witness. We have to prove two things, basically. First is that this was a medical miracle. That there's, uh, and the doctors don't have to say miracle, but they have to say something along the lines of, uh, you know, this has never happened before. I find nothing of this in the literature or it's not explainable in medical or scientific terms. And uh, so that's the first thing because you have to get past the uh, medical experts at the Vatican who look at this first. And then the next one is to prove that this truly was intercession by Father McGivney. Okay, it was a miracle, we agree, but you know, who do we attribute it to? And, uh, you know, thank God for Daniel and his wife, uh, sending out all these emails uh, to all their friends, you know, Daniel, all his agents, I think, and Michelle do like a hundred uh, homeschooling mothers. And, uh, you know, they're all going back. Yes, we're praying for Father McGee. We're praying to Father McGee. This is all this documentation that went into the record uh, at the tribunal. So uh, it was, it's just an amazing thing. So the tribunal is opened. I remember it was opened April 15th, 2016, because I have to file my taxes early that year. Because um, I was down in Nashville at the tribunal on tax day, and uh, it was closed uh, sometime in September 2017. So it took a good long time, and you know the reason for that is you have to call in witnesses, and 
you know, then like the bishop always has to be there and the judicial vicar always has to be there. So it's their schedules and then the schedule of the person they're calling and then the doctors, you know, not always having time to come during the day. And so it took a while to call all 10 and get their full testimony. And uh, when all that was done, you know, it was wrapped up and put in the, you know, the red ribbon and with the seal, you know, the, you put the hot wax and wow. the seal of the bishop, you know, it's almost like medieval days, you know, where the signet ring of the king is put in to assure, and that's to assure that this package is not opened until it gets to the congregation of the saints. And it was actually, you know, uh, sent over there. And of course, then it's kind of wait and see, you know, because there are many, many cases every day coming in, you know, to the congregation for the saints. And, you know, you're kind of given a, a number, you know, the postulator brought it over, got a number, and then they see, you know, how that's advancing each day till this particular package is open. And uh, so when they finally did open it, the first thing it goes to is the lawyer, right? The canon lawyer. And the canon lawyer, I get the sense, is kind of tasked to, you know, find some kind of, you know, canonical inconsistency or it's not filed in the right way or it's not numbered or, you know, everything isn't signed and stamped by the bishop, you know, so we can send it back. <laughs> We've got so many other cases. So uh, I don't know if that's really true, but... Uh, I love this. this I love this whole process that you're describing, Brian. I mean, it just shows how thorough the Catholic Church is in investigation. And, you know, people claim miracles day in and day out. And but that the fact that the church prides herself in the exploration of the miraculous by way of scientific means, sometimes the church is kind of differentiated between, okay, you have the church, which is all this like invisible belief, and it's really not based on science. But no, there's actual scientific proof of God's hand at work in the life of the church. And how does God express his work through the ministry of the saints of our own generation? And we see the hand of this very saintly priest, clearly historically documented. The Knights of Columbus is one of the most powerful organizations worldwide. What a beautiful testimony to the ministry of Father Michael McGivney, now beatified, you know, that that he's blessed Michael McGivney, and now we're anticipating canonization. We could see the hand of Father Michael McGivney at work most clearly in the life of Daniel and his family, even prior to the miracle, right? So, you know, naming your, your homeschool community, Father Michael McGivney, seeing that you're so connected to Father Michael McGivney, and now this absolutely powerful miracle. And now you have vice postulators presenting the cause, pushing it forward, marketing it, trying to get the word out. Hey, Father Michael McGivney's ministry is still at work in the church. Pray for his intercession. Send in miracles. I know that I was I was researching a little bit, Brian, and, and there's actually a, a email domain um, where people would send in any miracles so that you can explore other types of, uh, you know, miracles that have occurred. Brian, how do people do that? And why is that important? Oh, it's vital. Uh, it's fathermcgivney.org is the website. That's the website of the Father McGivney Guild. Uh, you go on there, you'll see a big button, join the guild. It's for free. Become a member of the guild. You get a newsletter. A weekly mass is authored for your intentions. That's a great benefit, I think, that people don't realize. But every week, Father O'Donnell uh, another vice postulator offers a mass for the intentions of all members of the guild. We have 176,000 members wow. right now. Wow. And we've gotten about two or 3,000 within the last few months because of sure. this publicity. Wonderful. 
Now, very important, uh, there's another button on the site right on the homepage where it says, ask for prayers. Click that, fill out the fields, and uh, an email goes to the guild, and I eventually see it. You know, all these petitions we've been getting, and they've just, uh, call, you know, they've just in number doubled, tripled uh, the number of intentions of people asking for Father McGivney. And then there's another button on the homepage. It said report favors. And this is key, you know, because there might be another miracle out there that we haven't heard of yet. And, you know, the guild, we, we don't have any uh, omniscient uh, knowledge of uh, Father McGivney's spiritual activity in the world. Um, you pray, you have an intention, you pray for it, you get a favor, please report it. It's very important. And big or small favors, right? We get constant, uh, you know, like everyday kind of favors. And it's very appropriate for Father McGivney because he was an everyday parish priest. You know, he got his hands dirty. He was involved in the lives of his people. Um, but the thing about Father McGivney, he just didn't go, you know, you know, I'll pray for you, my children, which is important, Father, you know that. But he would also go and find a practical solution to practical issues, you know, and the main one was the Knights of Columbus, right? And mm -hmm. it's still active today, finding those practical solutions to people's practical problems. Because a priest cannot do it alone. And and to see that that he had such support in his knights that he could rely on his knights to advance the works of the gospel is just incredible. And to see those works being done by you, Brian, and Daniel still today is an absolute inspiration. I know I glean a lot of example of being a parish priest from Father Michael McGivney. Um, I have some McGivney family members, in fact, on the Irish side of my of my life. Oh, nice. Which oh. is which is really cool. Um, you know, so I, I, he's always been a huge inspiration. Reading Parish Priest as well, many, many years ago when I became a, a Knight of Columbus was very influential in my journey. You know, but his his whole, you know, his whole pastoral breath of being there for widows, orphans, prisoners, families. You know, one of my focuses at my parish is to really culture and evangelization to the human family. And that is something that, you know, blessed Michael McGivney did so powerfully. He was a pioneer in it. And for all of our listeners out there, if you are not a Knight of Columbus, man, please take a moment, check them out. It's a fantastic order. Obviously, I'm sure that's already kind of coming to mind for many of you listeners or viewers on YouTube. So make sure that you're checking out the Knights of Columbus. And if you have a pastoral need, any type of real difficult situation, and you're seeing, you know, the ministry of Blessed Michael McGivney through this transmission, take a moment and pray his intercession. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray for the canonization of Blessed Michael McGivney and ask for his intercession before we finish the show. But before we do that, Sheil, why don't you, why don't you um, give a little shout out to Exodus 90? Because we have a, sure. we have a men's prayer group, um, you know, that, that is Exodus 90. And this is a fraternity, Knights of Columbus, you know, the need for masculine leadership. And we're seeing that in Daniel's testimony. You know, that is so important to today. So, so Sheila, I know that we have like a, a, a little, you know, I think in January we have a beginning. Coming up. Oh, yeah. Yes. Coming up. Yeah. So Exodus 90 is a 90 day program developed for men to get them to detach from the things that are holding them back in this world. Things that are keeping them on their base instincts instead of looking to something deeper for their family and for their faith and for their God. So go to Exodus90.com and there you can learn everything about the program. It's going to show you how over 90 days you're going to use ascetic practices 
prayer and fraternity to make you into the man that God wants you to be a better, more happy, healthy, virile, and faithful you. Um, go to exodus90.com. Um, actually, forward slash Catholic talk show. You can get the app hundred percent free. It teaches you everything, how you have to uh, do for the next 90 days. It starts January 4th and goes all the way up until Easter. Um, and it's a perfect way to really get the most out of Lent this year. This is a Lent exodus. So go to exodus90.com forward slash Catholic talk show. And it begins on January 4th. And now we have two other sponsors that we want to give a shout out to besides Exodus 90. Ave Maria University is a Catholic university set in Southwest Florida, over 35 programs of education, a fantastic community. If you have 13 children or less or more, you want to make sure that your children are being formed in the Catholic tradition at the very heart of the Catholic magisterial teachings. Fantastic programs. If you know anybody looking for a university, encourage them to check out Ave Maria University, my alma mater and certainly my number one in the entire world. So and on top of that, the next our, our, our fantastic sponsor as of recent scapulars.com. I just received my scapular actually in oh, the you mail. Did? Great. This thing you can't even break. I mean, I, I mean, not that I'm the strongest person in the world, but I was pulling on this thing. And I'm, I'm so excited about wearing this new scapular. And I have parishioners since our show on scapulars coming up to me every week. Father, can you enroll me in the scapular? Father, can you enroll me in the scapular? Awesome. So check out scapulars.com and check out more about the brown scapular because the history will blow your mind. So now before we go, I, I wanted to mention the recent issue of Columbia Magazine. This is the Knights of Columbus's publication. I've been getting it for years. I love it look forward to it all the time. Uh, the most recent one uh, was all about the beatification of Blessed Father McGivney. It tells a lot about this story um, in more detail, tells more about Daniel's life and some more detail that we didn't get into here. But there's a there's a great picture in here, and I really wanted to share this with everyone. Um, and Kyle, maybe you can put this up on the screen if this doesn't show very well. But it's a great picture of Mikey that you call him Mikey today with the statue of blessed oh. McGivney. Wow. Um, and that's just, I mean, this is miraculous. A child is miraculous. Um, but then the child under this circumstance is even more so. So how is Mikey doing today? What's he like? And, and, you know, and, is he and how did you of this? And when have you start? I'm a, a hot blooded Italian. I'm tearing up. Yeah, over I can here tell you're you know, real up. men don't cry. <laughs> At what point did you stop being like, just blown away? Like, just stop crying over this stuff because I'd be crying every time I look at the kid. Well, I was, I was uh, actually tearing up. I don't know if you can see it on camera, but I was tearing up when I was telling the story a minute ago, and I didn't even tell the whole thing. You know, I'd mentioned about the uh, the number thirteen. Of course, Father McGinley's the oldest of thirteen. Michael's the youngest. But of course, Our Lady of Fatima's day is the 13th, right? I am. May 13th. Father yes. McGivney's feast day is August 13th now. So, oh, wow. which is the only day between May and October on the 13th of the month that Our Lady didn't appear was August the 13th. So that's been designated as Father McGivney's feast day. Wow. Uh, whenever, when we were, um, that's we were coming up, getting closer to the birth, he wasn't due till July. And I had a meeting in San Antonio a Knights of Columbus meeting. And I was thinking of backing out because I was worried about Michelle and Mikey. And she said, go ahead, don't worry about it. So I left Nashville on May the 13th. And as I told you, I was upset and I was going to, I told Michelle when he's born, I'm going to hold him up to the doctor like Simba and be like, how many babies <laughs> did you take it? Cause you told people what you told us. Right. 
So I'm in San Antonio and I get this phone call saying mom's having an emergency C-section today. This was May 15th. So I wasn't there for the birth. I didn't get to hold him up. We didn't ever see that original doctor again that told us to have the abortion, although the the nurses and everybody told us how upset she was, that she was taking our records to all these places, trying to figure out how she could have been wrong and all of these things. So her and Dr. Mary decide to uh, to do the delivery together, the C-section together. So the, the first doctor, uh, oh wow, uh, holding back her name for her own privacy reasons, but she came in the room and, and uh, Michelle said, oh doctor, I'm so glad you're here, I got you a gift. And she pulled out of her purse a bottle of holy water from Fatima and a miraculous metal and gave it to her and said, I got these for you in Fatima. And the doctor broke down crying and took off her necklace, put the miraculous metal on and said, you don't know how much this means to me. And uh, the nurses have said she's got his before and after ultrasounds on her desk right now to remind her always that there's no such thing as no hope. So... I think one of the most powerful parts of the whole story is the doctor's process that she went through mentally and her kind of conversion there also. But I, I think the whole thing ties into Our Lady. And when we take our first degree, well, it's all together now, but we promise to pray our rosary as often as possible. And we're basically entering Our Lady's army, right? And Father, you said it a minute ago. Masculinity is a problem now. Fatherhood's a problem. All of these things are a problem. And I feel like that the way heaven wrote this story, it was our lady telling the Knights of Columbus, I need you right now to step up, to be men, to do what you have to do in the culture to preserve your family's faith, the culture's faith, all of those things. I think this was a planned reinforcement from, from heaven because God knew at this moment we would need it. That's my personal opinion. As I look back on all of it, mm -hmm. it just floors me that such great graces have been given to all of us at this time. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, right? So, I tell you what, so Delacross, I'm looking at your face, listening, listening to to Daniel, and I could just see your fatherhood, you know, being you know stirred in your heart, and and just knowing how much you strive to honor God with the children that you've had, and and we've had many conversations, and I'm just I'm seeing this fraternity that is such a part of the Knights of Columbus, this fraternity that was in the life and ministry of Father McGivney alive in this show and just being brothers on and, and, and talking about these very important matters and to see that we have a brother in heaven that is clearly showing his hand at work is, is a great, great blessing. How are you feeling over there, Ryan Delacrosse? I'm doing good. I mean, I'm just like, I, like it's it's the same thing. Like we said at the beginning, and this kind of plays full circle here is that I've never talked to somebody who's witnessed a miracle, right? Uh, or been a part, sorry, been a part of a miracle so intimately. And it just, it just, you know, it's, it's a spiritual area that my heart's never gone. It's beautiful. You know, so how it's old kind of reflected on that. How old is Mikey now? He's five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah. When I, I read this story in Columbia and, and my son is five and we had a child the first year of our marriage. I've been married for 18 years. And well, we just assumed we'd have a lot of children and, we had some medical issues and some, uh, my wife almost died in one of our pregnancies that was lost. They said we'd never have another kid. And uh, we did, you know, oh 13 years later, thir 13 years later, wow. five-year-old Johnny, right? And uh, 
you know, I saw, I saw Mikey and I, and it made me think about Johnny. And I mean, it really, oh, uh, just the joy in Mikey's face. I mean, just, just seeing that was such a, um, amazing testament to that God works through these little children, these little miracles and how everything's so interwoven. Uh, and I just, I saw Mikey and it filled me with joy and made me think about my son and, and, you know, the graces, you know, I got not, not miraculous like this, you yeah. know, but every child's miraculous Amen. and, you know, Mikey exactly. even that much more so. So At how's he doing? Of, What's there's he like? a lot of, there's a lot of miracles, Ryan, but only some of them are approved by the Vatican. I think that's right. That's exactly it. Miracle. Right. And I, I just wanted to make an, you know, Mikey's doing great right now. And I wanted to implore everyone listening, pray to father McGivney. Since this has happened, I've had obviously been contacted by a lot of people that are interested in the cause that are praying to father McGivney, people that have prayed to him in the past that had favors answered and several of them involve in utero children that I've talked to people about and miraculous events. Now, one thing Brian didn't mention is nothing that happened before October 31st can be counted as the canonization miracle, right, Brian? So uh, nothing happen. happened right before, actually May 26th, right. when the miracle was approved. There you go. So anything that happened before then, we can't consider for the second miracle. Only really? things that happened May 26th or after. But, uh, you know, of course, we've been getting some reports and, you know, uh, you know, as vice postulator, I always, you know, take an interest and, you know, look into it. You know, most of it isn't as, you know, promising as people, you know, who experience it, of course. And I always say, you know, that doesn't mean it's not a miracle, as Daniel was saying. You know, there's, there's lots of miracles in people's lives and favors, um, you know, but rightfully so, the Vatican standards are very high. Um, so you can be assured when there's a miracle approved. I mean, I, I can give you total witness <laughs> that, you know, when a miracle is approved by the Vatican and signed on by the Pope, this is really something that was like, cannot be explained any other way. Absolutely. Well, Brian and Daniel, we, we really appreciate you being on the, on the show and Ryan Shields holding up a prayer card to, to blessed Michael McGivney. And we're about to, we're about to close with prayer um, how can we get those prayer cards? Are they, are they, uh, are they free to get? How do we, how do we get those out to our, uh, listeners and our viewers? Yeah, they, they are free. Um, you can order them through, uh, the fathermcgiffney.org website or just email guild at kfc.org. Um, I should also mention that membership uh, for the Knights of Columbus, a special, a free offer until December 31st. Uh, you go to kfc.org slash um, join and you can sign up there and put in the promo code McGivney 2020 and your first year of membership will be free. Wow. Yeah, I'll and make sure I put the links for all that below. So if any of you men out there are looking to join the nights, you'll have that link. If you're looking to get one of these prayer cards so you can see father McGivney's intercession, I'll put that link below in the show notes as well. I've been so proud of the marketing of the Knights of Columbus as of recent, especially the new curricula that's out there, Men of Faith. And it is important to latch into this movement. So check out the Knights of Columbus today. And as we conclude, how about we conclude with prayer? Um, but before we do, you know, this this show has been miraculous. And my growing uh, relationship with my brothers, Ryan Delacrosse and Ryan Scheel, 
um, you know, is, is a great blessing to my life. So I'm very thankful to God and Sheila, thank you for sharing that story about Johnny and your wife. I didn't know, I didn't know that actually. So well, you guys know me. I don't really talk much about myself. No, I know. I know that, but I'm about to break out my hanky because this Italian man like Delacross, you know, I tear up all the time. So this has been a tear, tear felt and, and heartfelt episode. And we thank you so much, Daniel and Brian, for show, you know, sharing the beautiful fruits of the ministry of Blessed Michael McGivney. Let's conclude with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, protector of the poor, and defender of the widow and orphan, you called your priest, Blessed Michael McGivney, to be an apostle of Christian family life, and to lead the young to the generous service of their neighbor. Through the example of his life and virtue, may we follow your son, Jesus Christ, more closely, fulfilling his commandment of charity and building up his body, which is the church. Let the inspiration of your servant prompt us to greater confidence in your love so that we may continue his work of caring for the needy and the outcast. We humbly ask that you glorify Blessed Michael McGivney on earth, according to the design of your holy will, through his intercession, grant the favor we now present. Take a moment in silence and offer your intention. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And to all of our followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, especially our followers on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe and share this content far and wide. Let's yell it from the mountaintops, yell it from the rooftops. There's a lot we can to do share. that now. <laughs> <laughs> now you can. God bless. And we'll see you next week. Peace. God bless.